Environmentalism has a bunch of different stuff, but there are some common themes. The most important theme is it's all anti-human. To put that another way, they have some different ideas about what's of value in life and the role of humanity in the cosmos than Western civilization has. They seem to want humans to live kind of like animals, like just be another animal on Earth until some meteor comes and we all die. Don't change the face of the world. Don't have a big footprint. Don't have a big impact. Leave nature alone. Just be part of nature, just like the trees. And that, that's not how Western civilization thinks. Western civilization says, hey, humans are pretty special. They're pretty awesome. They can do awesome things. We can you know, tame nature and go to the stars and invent technologies and build up societies and think and all that good stuff. So to start with, I want to talk about protecting the environment, about keeping it safe and clean and lowering our impact on the environment and preserving it and all that. So what's the point of all that? Supposedly, it's good for us in some way. But they don't talk about it in terms of human flourishing, in terms of what's best for us. They just sort of tack that on at the end. They're like, oh, well, if it gets polluted too much, you'll get all poisoned and it'll be bad for you. But their actual motivations, projects, goals, interests, etc., are really just about keeping the environment the same, keeping leaving nature alone as much as possible, minimizing our own role in the world. It's not, how can we make a better environment for humans to live in? It's just, how can we preserve nature and respect nature and so on, rather than trying to respect humans and lift humans out of poverty. There's still like billions of people who are really, really poor, and that actually really sucks. And we should do something about it instead of trying to restrict things like fossil fuels that help people be less poor so they can have better lives with, you know, clean water and decent food and Netflix even. If you think that we need to compromise human flourishing for the sake of nature, then that's anti-human. If you're just worried about human values like a clean place to live, that is different than what the environmentalists are actually after. But a lot of their followers are sort of confused and mixed. The key point is, if something isn't a value to humans, if it's only a value to say deer, but not to humans, then do you still care about it? Do you care about deer for the ways that they can benefit humans, or do you just care about deer as such? Do you want to use the Amazon rainforest in whatever way will most benefit humans, including in the long run? Or do you just want to preserve it for the sake of having a big jungle because you value nature instead of humans? The actual facts are technological progress and industrial society are good for the environment, at least as far as humans are concerned. There are fewer deaths due to climate, like heat waves in industrial societies because people have fans and air conditioning. The more powerful we get, the more wealthy we are, the more we have control over nature, 
then the better we can deal with climate and other dangers. It's always the poor countries that get really screwed by tsunamis and hurricanes and so on. Sometimes there's significant problems in industrial countries, but it's, it's definitely a lot worse in the poorer countries because they have less resources to cope with things. You need to be rich in order to build earthquake-safe buildings and good tsunami warning systems and so on. And environmentalism tries to stop people from being rich. That's what they have a problem with, is taking the steps to make yourself powerful and important and actually change the environment you live in to be better for you. That's what being rich is, is changing your environment, having the tools and the power to change the world you live in so it's more suitable for you. E.g. if you'd rather walk on concrete than dirt. There's definitely advantages to that. And that's the kind of thing that environmentalism sort of dislikes. You know, cars let you travel faster. They make the world better for humans. The reason people keep buying cars and, you know, being willing to spend money on them is that the cars make their lives better. They give them more opportunities, more options for what to do in their life. But environmentalists just look at the cars and complain about the emissions. They don't go, you know, is it making things better overall for humans? They just go, are there any dangers or risks or downsides whatsoever, no matter how small, no matter how low the dose is? And if so, they just want to complain about it and protect nature from the tiniest harm with no regard for human values. As we've gotten richer, we've, we've cleaned up our environment in lots of ways. You know, when you're poorer, you create things like the London smog. You burn things for fuel and heat that aren't the best things to burn, like animal dung and wood. But we've stopped doing that. Third world societies, everyone litters. Mexico is full of litter. Read Adios America. And then all the, all the illegal immigrants come and litter in the U.S. parks. And Americans don't do that so much. The environmentalists want people to die of malaria rather than some bird eggshells to be thinner. That's the issue of DDT, except that the bird eggshell stuff is bullshit anyways. And DDT is perfectly safe and you can like eat it and it's fine. But you know, even if that was true, even if it was some sort of significant danger to birds, so what? Like, don't humans come before birds? Like, even if you care about some birds somewhat, don't you care about humans more? Millions of people get sick and die because mosquitoes are a pest and mosquito nets are not actually an adequate solution and DDT was cheap and effective. Environmentalism's actual effect has been to kill people, to harm humans. And has this turned its supporters away? Has environmental... Has environmentalism become unpopular because of what happened with DDT or a variety of other examples? Have they been held accountable for shutting down nuclear power in the US? They say that we're gonna get fucked by global warming, but they're the ones who didn't want us to use nuclear plants which don't emit tons of CO2. They also don't like hydro. 
because the fish come first. They just don't want us to have energy. They're more in favor of manual labor farming. And you can read actual books by the more consistent, serious environmentalists where they say things like manual labor farming is good and more people should do it. They just want you to do backbreaking labor all day instead of have a civilized life. They don't respect the leisure of watching Netflix or reading books or scientific research. And by the way, technology lets you clean up pollution if it's a problem for you. You know, it gives you the option to change the world in all sorts of ways. You can build buildings to protect you from storms and you can clean things up and you can build parks and you can build parks better than nature. You can make a park that's more suitable to humans than the naturally occurring parks. All right, let's talk about energy. So fossil fuels are the most important form of energy today. We rely on them worldwide to support civilization and give people power. What's power for? Power does work, basically. Electricity can do work instead of your muscles doing the work. Also, burning gas in cars does work. It moves you rather than your muscles doing it. You know, tractors and machines do work for you instead of the human having to do it. So the whole point of power of electricity is to elevate humans above brute animals to make it so we don't have to just do all the work ourselves to make our lives better. So the environmentalists talk a lot about solar and wind. They claim this has to do with things like pollution, but they don't really care about the facts. Um, wind power uses rare earth metals for very strong magnets as part of the turbines. The rare earth metal mining is way nastier than coal mining. There's definitely people in China getting very sick and dying. You can read about it. There's, you know, polluted lakes, that kind of thing. You know, there's some horror stories there to mine rare earth metals for wind power. But that doesn't stop them. They don't care. You know, wind power also can kill some birds. Now, I'm not saying that's a big deal or it's a huge amount or anything, but hey, it has an impact. It kills some birds, but they don't seem to care. They also like solar power. How did they pick these? They say it's because it's renewable, which I'll talk about later. But what these actually are is intermittent. They're unreliable sources of energy. They just don't make humans as powerful. With fossil fuels, you get a large amount of energy in a small package so you can like transport it easily. And so it's this concentrated strong energy and you can use it whenever you want. You know, you can fill up your tank of gas and then, you know, you can park your car and drive later. You, you have control over when you use the energy, which is wonderful. Solar and wind, you're at the mercy of when it's sunny or when it's windy for when the power comes in. That's a big problem. So what do they do about that? Because we need power all the time. You know, we can't just... It's not okay with people that we're just going to watch TV or have our refrigerators be turned on and our food not spoil when it's sunny out or 
when it's windy out. You know, we want that 24-7. It's very important to have, to be able to have, you know, reading light 24-7, not just when nature grants it. So there's two main things you can do about that. One is you can just have fossil fuel plants in addition to the wind power. So it's like you just build up all the fossil fuel power you need, and then when it doesn't, when it's not windy, then you turn on all the fossil fuel power, and when it's windy, then you turn like half of it off. And that's kind of stupid and pointless and inefficient, because then we just have enough fossil fuel plants to power our, us, and then we're just adding like the wind and the solar on top of it without getting rid of any fossil fuels. Which, there's no reason to get rid of them in the first place, but... But, like, that doesn't make a lot of sense, right? If you're just going to build out all the fossil fuel power to cover your, your energy needs, why would you then, you know, get some solar panels just so you can turn it off while it's sunny and then turn it all the way back on when it's not sunny? People would say it's because we're running out of fossil fuels. I'll get to that later. But the, the alternative, the other way to deal with this is batteries. You know, you can save the electricity in a battery when it's sunny and then use it when it's not sunny anymore. The problem with that is our battery technology just isn't good enough. It's not even close. Batteries are expensive. They use all kinds of chemicals and materials and minerals and whatever the fuck, and the environmentalists don't care about that. But most of all, batteries just aren't efficient enough. They don't store enough energy well enough. You lose too much energy getting it into and out of the battery the batteries wear out, etc. Storing electricity is just a hard problem. Like, it's just not an easy thing to store in an efficient way and use on demand. Batteries work fine on, like, small scales, like an iPhone. Or, like, you know, you can certainly get enough batteries to, to power, like, a single house on solar if you want to, but it's not, like, an efficient industrial scale energy solution. What about biofuels? People are like, ethanol, we can make like car fuel out of corn. So it's renewable, unlike gas. Which is very silly because if you look at how much energy goes into producing the corn and then turning it into ethanol, you know, you're just losing energy. Like it takes so much work to create the biofuels in the first place that it doesn't make any sense. Like, what? where do you think the energy comes from to run the tractor that helps you make the corn? You know, that comes from gas. So you're using fossil fuels to create biofuels. If biofuels were actually efficient, you wouldn't need subsidies. You could just have a free market, and then people would use them. But that doesn't happen because they're not efficient. That's another thing about environmentalism in general, is they seem to have some sort of problem with the free market and capitalism. They think that somehow the prices will be wrong, and they know better than the price system what stuff should cost, and they know that you know, gas should be used less than its current price for some reason, they think. They don't have like serious economics arguments for this. It's just none of them actually know economics, basically. It's the same stuff with like electric cars. They're like, electric cars are saving the planet. Like really, seriously? Where do you think the electricity for your electric car comes from? Coal? Like an electric car is a coal powered car. 
And they just, like, refuse to think about that. There's so much selective attention there. It's just like the broken window fallacy. Which is about the seen and the unseen. They look at one thing, like the window repair guy getting paid. And they don't look at some unseen other factors that they just ignore and have selective attention against. Such as... Um, the same money not being spent on books. So the book seller, the author, gets less money. It's not like the, the window repair guy's money just appears out of thin air. And it's not like the electricity for electric cars just appears out of thin air. So people say that we're running out of fossil fuels and metals and minerals and space and landfill space, and housing space, and natural parkland, and more or less every single resource there is. Their whole perspective on this is wrong. They don't understand what a resource is. You know, the entire earth is made out of potential resources. Any matter is a potential resource. Just anything can be used as a resource if you come up with a way to use it. What humans do is they turn things into resources by figuring out how to use them. So oil didn't used to be a resource at all. It was um, basically just considered like pollution, like it would get in our way and be annoying. Then people figured out how to use it, and now it's a resource. And it doesn't actually matter that much if we run out one day because we can always create new resources. We can figure out how to use other things. But also, we just have massive, massive amounts of oil. It's really, really common. And the amount of oil reserves available has been going up. Not a ton, but a bit. Now, why is that? It's because whenever the, the potential reserves of oil get too low, people look for more oil. And not just new oil fields of the type we're used to, they try to figure out you know, what is something that's not currently a resource, but could be a resource in the future if we had new technology. So they figure out, like, what's a better way to get oil out of an old oil field that we thought was run dry. You can come up with a better technology, and then you can get oil out of it. Or there's shale oil, which is basically just oil that's harder to get out of the ground. There's some difficulties there. But if you come up with technologies like fracking, then you get better at getting oil out of the ground, and then the known reserves goes up. It's not economically efficient to find a million years of reserves. Why would you want to do that? As long as you have, you know, several decades of reserves, then you have plenty of time to find more. You don't need more reserves than that. It's not economically efficient to try to plan into the infinite future. Just plan a few decades ahead. And that gives you enough time to adjust by e.g. finding new reserves when you need to. So factually, the people who say we have all these shortage problems are wrong. You can look at like the history of resource use and how we keep finding more resources rather than running out. That's an ongoing theme if you look at history. But they're also wrong in terms of their mindset, their way of thinking about it. Because they always just sort of assume that there won't be any new technology. That's kind of implicit in everything they're saying. They're like, 
if we just keep doing what we're doing right now, then in 50 years, we'll run out or whatever. But that's not how we work. You know, our civilization keeps making progress. We keep inventing new things. We keep changing our behavior. We keep finding new options. And we can do that in economically efficient ways. Like, if we ran out of oil and we had to switch to electric cars, you know, that's a possible thing we could do. But there's no reason to do it today. Why don't you wait until we actually are almost out of oil? And then we switch over. Why don't you wait until we have, like, only 20 years of reserves or something? And then... I mean, people plan further ahead than that, so make it like only 80 years of reserves or something. And no realistic prospects to get more, like we've already really, really, really searched everywhere. But you know, once we get that far into the future, we're going to be like mining asteroids in space. We're going to be getting shit off the moon. Not necessarily oil, but resources of some sort, and we'll figure out how to use them. Maybe by then we'll just power our cars with like nuclear fusion. Heading back on energy use today would just handicap our ability to make project, progress. Handicapping the wealth and scientific research of our society will cause us to run out because it will slow us down. Our best chance at not running out of resources is to make as much progress as we can as fast as we can. Don't tie our hands between our back. Don't go slow. The people who are worried about running out of stuff they just want to, like, drag it out. They're like, well, we're definitely going to be fucked in the long run. So let's just, you know, try to ration things so that our grandchildren can have some rations and their grandchildren can have some rations and their grandchildren can have some rations. And then everyone will die. They're just sort of okay with that. They're not thinking about humanity as having an infinite future where we end up exploring the cosmos, going to different galaxies, having, you know, sci-fi level technology. They're just like, yeah, yeah, we'll just we'll just keep going how we're going. Not much will change. Eventually we'll run out because we haven't made any progress and then we'll all die. And that that's what they want. They just want that a bit slower. And they're they're not thinking about how do we make things better and keep making things better and keep solving our problems. There's always going to be some sort of problem, some sort of dangers, some sort of things that would go wrong if we didn't have a single new idea for the next 50 years. But they don't want to they don't want to bet the future on our ability to think, which is our distinctive ability and it's what we're actually good at and it's what we should be betting our future on. Our society is based on thinking and it's been working great and we should do more of it, not just sort of give up on the mind and try to live as animals until we run out of stuff. Related to this is all the recycling programs. They don't care about the economics of it. They don't care how much energy is wasted running recycling plants. They're just like, oh, well, we conserved a resource that's hard to make more of, so that's good. And they, they just don't pay any attention to how much coal did they burn to do that, how much concrete went into that recycling plant, how much metal. Like, the reason recycling plants cost money is because they're actually using up resources. And if they cost too much money, and they can't pay for themselves, that's bad. And they're subsidized. Like, it's not like you get paid for recycling in general. There, there are scenarios where people get paid, 
but only like the very poorest, lowest wage people actually in general find it worthwhile to recycle for money. But also, like, there's plenty of government programs where they just tell you to recycle a bunch and they don't pay you anything. And they want you to, like, sort things. So, like, they make you do a bunch of work and they don't pay you. And if you actually look into it, in a lot of cases, they're still losing money. It's still inefficient. So they're basically just destroying wealth. And that's a theme with environmentalists. They're always coming up with ways to make things worse for humans, to destroy wealth, to slow down, set back, and hinder our civilization. Like... It's not just an accident where they got the math wrong. It's what everything they ever say would cause. They're attracted to things like that because they have a concept, a way of thinking about the world where they want humans to do less and lower their impact rather than wanting humans to be more powerful, more industrial, more scientific. Because the, the spirit of all their proposals is anti-industry, then all their proposals end up being economically destructive. And by the way, businesses will recycle without the government being involved when it's economically efficient to, to recycle. Recycling is not very economically efficient for individuals, but when you're running like factories, then it makes a lot of sense to recycle um, some of your stuff that you have you know, very large amounts of. And companies already were doing that before the government got involved. The government only has to get involved to cause inefficient recycling that people don't want to do. If, if recycling is profitable enough, you don't have to make people do it. A good example of how businesses um, don't want to waste resources is the oil companies. So when you take a, a barrel of oil, of crude oil, it has... It's kind of like different parts of oil, different types of oil. Like they're called fractions and you can separate them. And there's the barrel of oil turns into like these different piles of oil that are suitable for different things. You can't turn all of it into gas. If all you're doing is turning a barrel of oil into gasoline for a car, you will have leftover that cannot be turned into gas. So the oil companies looked at this and they said, well, we don't want to waste all this. So they came up with all sorts of things to make out of the different parts of oil. They wanted to come up with something worthwhile to do with it. So they came up with things like plastic. Plastic helps you use more of the barrel of oil. Just like the, um, the propaganda about how the Indians use every part of the buffalo or whatever. The oil companies use every part of the barrel of oil, but they don't get a lot of credit for it. And, you know, the environmentalists hate plastic bags and... I researched plastic bags a few years ago, and basically they're made from stuff that wasn't really useful for anything else anyways. So like when you ban plastic bags at grocery stores, like they're doing in a number of places, you're basically just wasting it because the reason that the plastic bags are so cheap is that there's not a lot of other uses competing for, for it. Like, you can't turn it into gasoline instead, you know? If it could be gasoline instead, then they would cost more because, you know, gasoline costs a decent amount of money. So if you're taking, if you're taking stuff away from gas to make plastic bags, then you have to outbid 
the price of gas for it, basically. But plastic bags are like super, super cheap because you don't have to outbid much. They're just not that useful for anything else, the materials. So that, that whole story is just sad and stupid and people are so ignorant and they're so willing to make laws without knowing what the fuck they're talking about at all. All right, moving on, let's talk about global warming. So they have a bunch of forecasts which aren't very good. They've been wrong a lot. Like they were worried about global cooling a few decades ago. Um, people are very, uh, very imprecise and sloppy when they talk about global warming. You hear so often people like saying shit about how we had a hot summer, so they blame global warming. Or like I was watching some Alaska TV show and they were, it's like a reality TV show and the producers were prompting the characters to say stuff about how global warming was causing the current weather. And that's just ridiculous. Like, even if you buy into global warming, even if you believe all the forecasts, they're saying things like the temperature is going to go up one and a half degrees in a hundred years or whatever the numbers are. So no, that isn't why you had a hot summer. Like according to the forecast, you know, the temperature would be like 0.1 degrees hotter by now. So that's, that's not why it's 10 degrees hotter this summer or whatever. Anyway, the important things about global warming are the forecasts just aren't very good and you can't trust them. Um, you know, they have enough trouble forecasting the weather for like next week. And now they're trying to forecast it for like hundreds of years out. There's all sorts of factors that are hard to understand and know how big a factor they are, such as sunspots. Like there are fluctuations in how hot the sun is in different places. And when you have like a really hot spot pointing towards the earth, then that can heat the earth. I don't know exactly how big a factor that is. I've seen some graphs that show it was like really correlated with temperatures, but you know, I haven't, I haven't carefully studied that. Like I wouldn't trust that any more than I trust the global warming forecasts without knowing more about it. The point is just, you know, there's a lot that's unknown there and you shouldn't just assume global warming's right. Like it'd be better to take the position that the data's not in. And then second of all, even if global warming's right, and they're just talking about small temperature increases over a long period of time. So first of all, that's good for a lot of places in the world. A lot of places in the world are too cold. If the temperature goes up, maybe we could use Antarctica. We have like all this wasted land up there. And not just that, but like Canada could be a much nicer place if the temperature would just go up worldwide a bit. So yeah, it would be bad for the people living at the equator if the temperature goes up, but it would be good for the people living in Canada. So it's not just this obvious huge disaster. And things like the ocean rises a bit, well, like, you know, you can build dikes and walls and levees and dams and blah, blah, blah. Like, if we have enough technology, there's all sorts of stuff we can do about that to make it have less effect on humans. If we have to rebuild some beachfront, beachfront property, that's not like a civilization-ending disaster or whatever. But you know what would be a civilization-ending disaster? the proposals for dealing with global warming, the so-called solutions, which they're not even real solutions because they're just saying, you know, if you do our proposal, which will, you know, destroy like half the economy of the world over the next 50 years, then it will slow global warming down by, you know, a few decades. There's, they just say stuff like that. Like it won't even solve the problem. 
and it'll completely destroy our economies. And this isn't an accident. Like, their solution is always collectivism, anti-capitalism, anti-human, anti-economics, etc. Like, whether it's global cooling, global warming, pollution, running out of stuff, no matter what it is, they always have the same kinds of solutions. Less industry, less science, less technology. Less wealth. Less human comfort, human luxury. Less energy, less impact. Less humans making any difference in the cosmos. They just want us to be chemical scum on a typical planet, in a typical solar system, on the outskirts of a typical galaxy. That's what they want our role in the world to be. And when that is your sort of motivating spirit, then of course all of your proposals are going to come out bad for us. So speaking of them having proposals that are bad for people, they also complain at length, literally, about what they call overpopulation. Or in other words, they don't like people and they want there to be fewer of us. They have a lot of excuses like, you know, there will be a famine if there's too many people or something. But the actual thing is they just don't like people, they want people to die, they want fewer people. Anything people do, they see as bad. It's not about human flourishing, it is about nature over people. The, the arguments regarding overpopulation have never been any good, just like their arguments on every other topic, but they don't care about that. They care about the conclusion. They care about the moral perspective on the place of humanity in nature. And everything they say fits with that moral perspective, but that is not the moral perspective of America, of Western civilization. You know, do you want science and industry or not? One of the arguments for overpopulation from Malthus is quite old, and it says, seriously, this is the argument, population increases geometrically while food supplies increase arithmetically. In other words, population goes up like a percentage, like basically people breed like rabbits. So it's like each generation you have more people, so then there's more breeding, so then you get even more people. So it's like exponential, but then the food supply only goes out linearly. So if you have people breeding like rabbits, but the food supply is only increasing like a little at a time, then you're going to have a famine after a while. Um, the math checks out on that, but why on earth would the food supply only go up a little bit when there's way more people? Like, at the very least, the new people could be farmers and make more food. And so then the food supply would go up in proportion to the, the new people. So then it would keep up and then you wouldn't have a famine. So yeah, Malthus was dumb. And Malthus was art. Malthus was answered in print. William Godwin wrote a book called Of Population. And no one cares. It just got ignored. And it's fucking sad. And the it's interesting. In the introduction to the book, Godwin says... Um, basically, he ignored Malthus at first because he thought Malthus's arguments were so dumb no one would listen, and two, he thought maybe someone else would answer Malthus, and that he had already sort of done enough and written enough books and so on. So, so he didn't immediately answer Malthus. 
But then people were persuaded by Malthus's stupid arguments, and no one else wrote a good answer to Malthus. So a bit belatedly, like 20 years later or something, I forget the dates, Godwin wrote a, a book refuting Malthus. But, you know, to this day, people still believe Malthus stuff with no real regard for how dumb it is. And they don't read Malthus anymore. They just, you know, they secondhand hear some things sort of along Malthusian lines and they assume someone has worked out the details somewhere and they don't worry about it too much because it fits their anti-human moral perspective. The fundamental thing Malthus got wrong, though, wasn't just like ignoring the fact that the new human beings could just farm. It was, it was technology. You know, some of those new people can be scientists and they can invent new farming techniques. If we make scientific progress, then that can help us increase our food supply. And Malthus, like many others, didn't have much confidence in human ingenuity. And the last 200 years have really proved him wrong on that. Like we've made so much spectacular scientific progress very rapidly. But a lot of people just assume that whatever our current level of technology is, it'll probably stop around there and it'll just be minor stuff from here on out instead of transformative, wonderful new technologies like the technologies that let human society go from approximately nine out of 10 people had to be farmers just to feed everyone to now it's more like one or two out of 10. I don't know the numbers offhand, but that's, that's seriously the ballpark. Like it was the vast majority of people had to be farmers in the past. And now it is much, much less than that. Most people are not farmers and we still have enough food. Things have gotten so much better in that way. Isn't it wonderful that now most of the population can do other things? Well, environmentalism doesn't find it wonderful. They have a different perspective. Environmentalism cares about sustainability. That's another big thing. And renewable resources. But what, what is a sustainable society? It means basically that you never change anything. It just means you're going in a loop. And that, that's actually a bad thing. Why would you want to go in a loop? Why not go forward? What happened to forward progress? And anyways, if you do go in a loop, one day something disrupts your loop. You know, a meteor hits Earth. And then you die. Like, sustainability just means you go in a loop until something external fucks it up. And then you're all dead. You know, a meteor, an ice age a plague, a variety of things can go wrong, and then you lose. So we shouldn't be looking for sustainability because sustainable societies are unsustainable. They cannot work in the long run. Just going in a loop will not work. Eventually something will go wrong. What we need instead of a sustainable society is a forward-moving society, a forward-looking society, a progressive society not in the way people use the word progressive today, which means things like an environmentalist. It's ridiculous. A progressive society would be one that's making progress. You just keep going forward and making things better and inventing new things. So that's what we should be aiming for. And if people have that sort of 
philosophical perspective that they want what's best for humans and they want to make progress and they want industry and energy and science, then then they'll be opposed to environmentalism. Environmentalism wants the opposite of all that. And if you go look at the details, if you actually research it instead of just going by uh, you know, what you heard third hand, you can, you can see all these things. Like, it's not, it's not like a, they're secret. Most people just don't investigate it much. So some good sources, if you want to learn more about this stuff, and some of the places I learned about it, which I want to give credit to, are Ayn Rand and Objectivism, in particular, the book Return of the Primitive, and Alex Epstein from the Center for Industrial Progress, who is an objectivist, and he wrote a book called The Moral Case for Fossil Fuels. And The Beginning of Infinity is a book by David Deutsch, and it has philosophy and physics and all kinds of great stuff. And it has stuff about static societies and sustainability. And, and it's about progress and how we can it talks about how problems are inevitable and we just need to keep making progress to keep increasing our ability to deal with problems rather than trying to stand still, which never works. There's a variety of other nice things you can find like the skeptical environmentalist or the ultimate resource. If you wanna Google it, look around and read some environmentalist books too, like read both sides. I've done that. Uh, I mean, if you can stand it. If you have any questions, as always, come to the Fallible Ideas discussion group and ask your questions. Don't, don't just assume we don't have any answers if you haven't asked us. <laughs>